come to that. All right, Luke chapter 2. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into a story we've heard many times before, but I pray it hasn't grown common. Can I get an amen? Lord, we thank you now as we go to your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. That it would move from a baby in a manger to a savior in our hearts. So Lord, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, so this is a story. Luke chapter two may be the most and well, well-known portion of scripture. It's read by millions uh, every Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. It's reenacted in Christmas plays by young and old alike. But no matter how many times we've heard it or how many times we've seen it reenacted, may we never grow tired of it or allow it to grow common in our hearts and in our minds. It is truly the most awesome event in all of human history. Almighty God left earth, left heaven, came to earth and became a man because he loves you. He left heaven where everything was perfect and came to sinful, fallen, the sinful and fallen world, lived 30, 33 years on this planet, a sinless holy life was an example for us and then went to the cross of Calvary and suffered and died as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. We serve a great and awesome God, amen? amen. Muhammad did not come down from heaven and neither did Buddha and neither did any of the 30 million Hindu gods or any of the false prophets in the world. Guys, we serve, we're celebrating his birthday today, but we serve a risen and living savior who has triumphed over sin and death. And we ought to shout it on the mountaintops how much we love Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? So in this morning's text, grab your outline. I want you to know again, as we're going through this, this is not an Aesop's fable. Amen. This is not, this is not the, the, you know, the, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. Can I get an amen? A lot of times they put them on right after each other and we get them mixed up. Guys, I want to tell you something. The rest of those are fairy tales. This is not a fable. This is the truth of how God came to earth. So if you got your outline, grab it. I titled the message, It's Not Christmas Without Christ. And sadly, we've got a lot of people that have taken Christ out of Christmas. And by the way, you take Christ out of Christmas, all you got left is mass. Can I get an amen? And it's not, and you don't have a relationship. It's not about the, what Christmas is really all about. You know what the enemy wants you to do? The enemy wants you to have Christmas and forget Christ. And the sad part is we live in a world today that's doing that. And there's nothing new under the sun. Tell the message it's not Christmas without Christ. Don't miss Christmas. Here's the two major points we'll see uh, here in the next 40 minutes or so. The truth about our Savior's birth. We're going to see the truth about our Savior's birth. Again, it's not a holiday created by man, but part of God's sovereign plan. And it's not a fable created by man, but it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And then the second point, well, how will we respond, or how will you respond to the message of Christmas? I want to ask you all that. Some of you, maybe you, you, you come because it's Christmas and Easter, and we're glad you're here. If that's the only time you come, we're glad you chose to come here. We, we do pray that you feel welcomed and loved. But my prayer for all of us is we wouldn't have an, a distant religious relationship. But we would have uh, you know, a religion that's far away, but we'd have an intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. Jesus didn't come so he could get two days a week, two days a year out of us. Can I get an Amen. 
Not just, just so we'd celebrate when he was born and when he rose from the dead. Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundant. And I want to encourage you, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Because here's the reality. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you know something's missing. And you've been trying to fill it with something else. And nothing else is the answer but Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? So we're going to see three, three different ways people responded. First, the innkeepers and travelers. They're so busy, they miss Jesus. I went to the mall yesterday. Somehow I don't do very often to pick up, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a last minute guy. So I went to the mall yesterday and I'm walking around and I'm wondering how many of these people are even thinking about Jesus. Guys, it's all about him. So like the innkeepers and travelers or like the angels who boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus' birth or like the humble shepherds who respond in obedience to the message of Jesus being born. So let's begin there in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. It's not Christmas without Christ. I don't want any of us to miss Christmas. I don't want us to miss the greatest act of love in all of human history. Now it says there, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This sentence first took place while Quirinus was governor governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Is God in control? What's the answer? Caesar Augustus, who was related, he was uh, the grandnephew of Julius Caesar, no doubt in his own mind thought he was deciding because the census didn't play, take place on a regular basis. It was about every 14 years, give or take a year. And it was something that the Caesar decided to do. And so he thinks he's coming up with this idea that everybody needs to return to their hometown to be taxed. Now, the reason they did this, the census, was for the military and to tax people. And so wherever you lived, you had to go back to your you know, hometown, if you will, and there be counted and registered. Now, for the people, when this came up, it was, it was a hardship, but it was also kind of an exciting time as well. Because what would happen is there'd be a, a big family reunion as the family came back from all over, wherever they were living now, to be registered and to be counted. And so as they would come together, there'd be a great amount of excitement. And the cities would often, you know, little Bethlehem, we're going to talk about today, might grow three, four, five times its normal size. And so this was like, you know, Christmas time. Amen. And so it was the first Christmas. And so people are gathering together. They're coming from great distance. And we know that God had an appointed time. There's a reason why this took place at the very moment that it did. It's interesting if you are a history person, that Quirinus was the governor right around that time of, wow, the time of Jesus Christ, right? Right around the time of, of the be the end of BC, right? So we know that the timing is perfect. He was ruling, but God was in charge. So we praise God for the sovereign control. Isn't it good to know that while men govern, God's in control? Isn't it good to know that while men make rules, God is still in charge? Can I get an amen to that? And God will even use an idol-worshiping pagan like the Caesar to bring about his perfect will. And this is why we don't need to panic. Uh, some have, because of some of the events taking place in the world today, they cannot vote God out of office. Can I get an amen? And he's still in control and he's still faithful. So the word comes. Everybody's got to go back to be registered. Look at verse 4 through 6. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, 
into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Now, can you imagine being, um, I'm, I've been, a, you know, I've got four kids and five grandsons, and I was in a delivery room every time my wife delivered one of our children, and I remember those months when she was eight and nine months pregnant. And imagine Joseph, you know, you got to love Joseph. Joseph didn't get enough love. Can I get an amen for Joseph? God bless that brother. He's betrothed to be married. Now, you understand in the, in the you know, the Jewish tradition the betrothal was a year long and they were never allowed to be alone during that one year. And, and at the end of that betrothal period, they would then consummate their marriage. So this was a relationship, a friendship. But when you were betrothed, you could not get out of the betrothal without a certificate of divorce. So the betrothal period was a time where, again, in those days, if somebody had, was not sexually pure, if they were not a virgin, when they got married, they could be stoned to death. So Joseph hears from an angel after Mary hears from an angel that she's going to have a baby while she's still a virgin. And God blessed Joseph that he stuck around. Can I get an amen to that? And that he listened to the word and he could have been angered or bitter, but instead he recognized what a blessing it was going to be to be the uh, stepdad, if you will, of almighty God. Amen. And so Joseph was from the city of David, as was Mary. They were both descendants of David. They're both of the tribe of Judah. And she is nine months pregnant. And guess how far it is from Galilee to Bethlehem? I've, I've driven it. It's 80 miles. 80 miles on the back of a donkey with a nine-month pregnant woman. Now you appreciate Joseph even more. Can I get an amen? I, I, I remember driving eight miles with my wife when she was nine months pregnant. We'd have to find every single, you know, one of the rest stops from here to Santa Cruz, right? And, and the reality is, so here she is. She's on the back of a donkey. This is not, you know, when you see the pictures of Mary, you know, you know riding to, you know, to uh, Bethlehem, it's always, you know, she just looks so beautiful and everything is pretty and there's no dirt anywhere. This is a dirty, gravelly, windy, rode through the hills for 80 miles on the back of a donkey and donkeys are kind of stubborn and they don't always do what they're supposed to do. So this was not the easiest trip ever made, but you know, what's amazing about it. God knew before the foundation of the world, because it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born where in Bethlehem. And how do we get Mary 80 miles from, to, from, from Galilee, from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Well, God uses the pagan Caesar to put out a decree. Guys, the Bible rocks. The Bible's always right on time. And all the prophecies about the Messiah, over, over 300 of them were all fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And one of them was that he must be born in Bethlehem. And God moves on the hearts, again, of Caesar. Now, here's a few other of the prophecies. Just here's a few that were just fulfilled right here. It says of the Messiah, he'll be a human and not an angel, a Jew and not a Gentile, from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David, born of a virgin, and born in the city of Bethlehem. Now again, when we focus on Christmas, we focus on Jesus as a baby. But again, he came not to be a, just a baby, but to be the savior of the world. So Mary and Joseph traveled this great distance. We also know that they were not very, they were very poor. 
And as they traveled, no doubt they were wondering if they were going to be able to find a place to stay. It is also interesting that Rachel, the first time, the last one of the times we see in the Old Testament, uh, Bethlehem being mentioned, is when Rachel was giving birth to her last son before she died. And she wanted to name him Benoni, which means son of my sorrows, because she was dying and giving birth. And her husband, Jacob, said, no, we're not going to name him. Ben-Oni, son of my sorrows. We're going to name him Ben-Hamin or Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Isn't it interesting that it says of Jesus, he was acquainted with our sorrows and our griefs and that he is seated at the right hand of the father ever interceding on our behalf. Guys, the Bible rocks at all points to Jesus. He fulfills the prophecy. Amen. And that's why we don't believe in spite of the evidence. Follow the science. One more person tells me that I follow the science and it all points to Jesus. Amen. He is the answer. So his betrothed wife, they're traveling this great distance. And again, it says there in verse six, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, here's what's interesting about this is that it's, I love that it says, it was time for her to be delivered. Of course, she's delivering the baby, but she was also going to be delivered from sin. Can I get an amen? But as she comes, the time came, the timing was perfect. God brought her there at the exact moment that he had foreordained before the foundation of the world. And as she came, she, the time was ready. She brought forth her firstborn son. I want to point this out. Jesus was not a, I mean, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. We read through the Bible. She had many other children. Amen. That's why it says firstborn son. They were born through relationship with Joseph and Mary, and she was born again by the power of God. It's how Jesus was born. Now, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. You know, I have grandsons, and it's interesting how with babies now, they still talk, they swaddle them. And what they do is they wrap the babies really tight, because when they wrap them tightly, it makes them feel comforted. Like they're being held by their mom. And so they wrap kids in swaddles so that they will sleep well. And again, here we are 2,000 years later, and we could have learned that just reading the book of Luke. Can I get an amen? So they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And what it was, it was torn cloth. And they would take it and wrap it around, you know, the baby. And notice they laid him in a manger. Now, the word manger there is a feeding trough for an animal. And this is where we get the idea often that he was born, you know, in a, in a wooden manger, right? With a place where animals would feed. But what's interesting is most people believe and I believe this to be true, the more than likely he was born in a cave that housed animals. And the manger he was placed in was made out of stone, not out of wood. And it fits perfectly, because just think about this. Jesus being wrapped in linen and laid in a cave in a stone manger. Does that sound like anything else is going to happen in Jesus' life? After Jesus died, he was placed in a tomb, which was basically a cave. And he was wrapped in, in swaddling clothes, if you will. He was wrapped in linen and there his body was laid until three days later, he rose from the dead. See, Jesus came for one reason, to suffer and die in your place so that you might have eternal life. See, even on the day he was born was a picture of why he came and he came to, to suffer and die for each and every one of us. The ancient tradition held again that he was born in a cave. And I love this picture. The manger points to why Jesus came. Why did he come? Because he loves you. Notice the sad part here. No room for him in the inn. 
So here's what would happen, as I was talking about, when, when census time came, if you owned an inn or if you even owned a house with extra rooms in it, this was the time when you were going to make more money than any other time. It'd be kind of like having a place in the mall at Christmas time. You're going to make more money in two weeks than you might make in the entire year. So here's what happened. People took advantage of it. And so when you would come to the city, the place was bustling. And people were charging much higher rates and people were coming from a distance. And so here's poor Mary and Joseph. Here's how we know they were poor. When they gave their sacrifice after Jesus was born, usually you would bring an animal like a lamb or a goat. And they didn't bring a lamb. They brought two birds showing that they were very poor when Jesus was born. So now they've traveled 80 miles with a nine-month pregnant woman on the back of a donkey, and they get to town, and there's no rooms left. Now, if that had happened today, Joseph be hearing it from Mary. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> really? Thanks. You know, you could have called the head. Well, no, there's no calling back then. Amen. Could have done something. But here they are. But God, is God in control? Amen. Sometimes when we're most disappointed because things don't go the way we want them to, we need to remember that God knows what he's doing and he cares about the details. Amen? Because sometimes it's the greatest trials that bring about the greatest blessing. And Jesus was going to be born in a manger. Jesus was going to be born in something that was a picture of why he came. And it was going to be in an inn. Let me ask you a question. Do you think any of those guys, when they, when they, when G, you know, they're knocking on the door, asking if there was room, do you think any of them were in eternity wishing they'd, they'd invited him in? You think any of them thought, well, you know, that was a bad idea. We left you. You know, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. And just like those innkeepers regret it, I pray that you don't. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. I don't know if you just, this is kind of a thing we do because it's Christmas and I'm an American, so that makes me a Christian. So I come for Christmas service. And again, if that's the reason you came, I'm glad you're here and I hope you feel welcome. But guys, it's got to go beyond, again, a religion to having a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because guys, let me share this with you. If you don't hear anything else I say, listen for 30 seconds. When you stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, after you've died in this life, the only thing that will matter is what have you done with God's son? Nothing else will matter. 401k, how big your house was, how much money you made, how gifted you were. None of that will be relevant. All the things that we think are so important won't matter. All that will matter is what have you done with God's son? So tragic that the innkeepers and travelers were so busy pursuing money, comfort, and pleasure that they missed Jesus. And we can do the same thing. We can be so busy in this life pursuing things that are temporary that we're missing out on that which is eternal. We're fighting over deck chairs in the Titanic, amen? The ship is going down and we're fighting over how nice our chair is going to be when the lifeboats are available. Guys, we need Jesus. He's the answer. He's the reason we live and move and breathe. He's the reason we celebrate. Hey, every time someone writes a check, they're recognizing that Jesus came. What's the date today? It's December 24th, 2020, 20, 2020 years since what? Since the birth of Jesus Christ, in the year of our Lord, amen? Not in the year of Buddha, not in the year of Muhammad, but in the year of Jesus Christ, amen? And he is the reason. And, and the innkeepers, sadly, were so busy making money hand over fist that when Jesus came to their door in the womb of Mary, they had no time or any room 
for the Lord. Look at verses 8 through 14. Look at the angels. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, first of all, being a shepherd back in those days, or even now, I mean, anybody aspiring to be a shepherd? (laughs) Want to lay out on the field and watch sheep and have to lay down your life in case a wild animal comes by to take one? Well, those days, being a shepherd was something that was looked down upon. Their work was remedial in the world's eyes. And again, it would also make them ceremonial unclean. And so being a, being a shepherd was rough enough. But how about being a shepherd during graveyard? Because they were being shepherds at night during the worst shift. You know what's even worse? Being a shepherd during graveyard when the city is bustling with people. One of the greatest times of the, of the entire you know, 14 or 15 year period where everybody's gathering together and they're all celebrating with your fa- their families and you're sitting out on a dark hill somewhere watching over a bunch of sheep. And that's exactly what these shepherds were doing. So why then did the angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord appear to a bunch of anonymous shepherds. Why not priests? Why not scribes? Why didn't he appear to Caesar? Because God does not call the rich and mighty. He calls the humble and lowly. Amen? It says in Luke chapter 1, in the song of Mary, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Because Jesus came to both be both the good shepherd... And the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus appeared on the scene, his ministry began. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We know that he is our good shepherd and we are his sheep. Amen? And so it's not surprising that it was the shepherds. Now, can you imagine shepherds? They're out there, you know, hanging out. And, you know, man, I wish we were down in town, missing out, man. Look at all, look at the lights from the distance. We're out here, man. How do we get stuck with this shift? And then an angel shows up. By the way, in the Bible, when the angels show up, everyone's always afraid. Amen? Notice what it says. It says there, it says, and the... The, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Guys, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? And you know what? We don't come to God in prideful arrogance. We come to God in humility and brokenness. And when the angel appeared, they were, they were brought to the end of themselves. All of us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? At the end of this time... Hitler bowing to Jesus, amen? Buddha bowing to Jesus, Muhammad bowing to Jesus. All the false gods and false leaders of this world will bow to Jesus Christ. Every name will profess that he is Lord. And so we have the angels appearing and notice, they say in verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all People, do not be afraid. Same words that were spoken to Zacharias when he was being told that he was going to have a son, John the Baptist. And when Mary was being told, fear is a natural response to being confronted with the divine or a mighty work of God. When you see the power of God, it ought to bring fear to us. Amen? 
And guys, our God is greater than you think. You hear me say it all the time. We get to heaven, he's going to be far greater than we can imagine. No matter how great you think heaven's going to be, it's going to be way better. And God, we're going to be blown away by the, being in the presence of Almighty God. I'm looking forward to it. Good tidings of great joy. Words mean, words mean to, to preach the good news. We have good news. Don't be afraid. We have good news. What's the good news? The, good, the word good news there is where we get the word the gospel. Who's the good news for? Is it for just the Jews? Is it for just the, the rich? Is it for just the, the, the Romans? Is it for who is it for? And it says they're all people. How many of you are part of Didn't want you to hear the good news. You're going to hear it anyway. Amen. By the way, there's a song by Mercy, or it's, yeah, I think it's Mercy Made, best news ever. Amen. Guys, it's not just the good news. It's the best news ever. It's the best news. And here it is. Verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Not that God had sent a soldier or a judge or a reformer, but he sent the savior. See, the reason that many people missed the Messiah when he came is they were looking for a conquering king who would reign on the throne on earth. And when he came, they, they, when, he, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they were singing out, Hosanna, save now we pray you. They were singing his praises. And four days later, some of those very same people were crying out, crucify him. Because they did not want a savior to redeem them from their sin. They wanted a king who would allow them to rule and reign upon this earth to overthrow the Roman government, to give them power. And see, a lot of people come to the Lord for the same reason. And sadly, he's even being preached that way. Come to Jesus and you'll be rich. Come to Jesus and you'll never get sick again. Come to Jesus and you'll have all the world has to offer. I'm so glad Jesus didn't come to give me stuff that's all going to burn, but he came to suffer and die that I could be forgiven and spend an eternity in heaven with almighty God. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, the best 401k ever is heaven. And so he says, this is the good news. This is the great news. And the great news is that a savior is born. Wow, that must have blown their minds to hear that a savior who is Christ the Lord. So he sent a savior because that was our greatest need. We didn't need a religion. We didn't need a, a, a king, an earthly king. We didn't need that. We didn't need a president. We didn't need a senator. We didn't need a winning lottery ticket. Can I get an amen? We didn't need a promotion at work. We didn't need more of what the world has to offer. What we needed was to be forgiven. Amen? We needed someone who would redeem us and take our place and be willing to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. A Christian has more peace in a battlefield than an unbeliever does in his own home because peace doesn't come from the absence of war. It comes from knowing the Prince of Peace. Now, how can we know this peace? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word Christ there in Greek is where we get the word Messiah. He's the anointed one. You know, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God knew before he created heaven and earth that we would sin and we would fall short of the glory of God. And he knew we would be separated from him. And he knew that he was going to restore it and redeem the earth by sending his son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. But not only is he the anointed one, the Messiah, but he's Lord. And that's a, a title of deity. He's a, he's, it's a covenant name of God. 
So how can we know peace regardless of our circumstances? Only through a relationship with the Prince of Peace. Each and every one of us has a God-shaped vacuum that he and he alone can fill. And again, you can try to fill it with other things, but your flesh will never, ever be satisfied. So this message comes to these shepherds. They're there up on this hill. All of a sudden, the glory of the Lord shines about them. They're on their faces and they're, they're afraid and they're told not to be afraid. And they're, they're told the good news that the Savior has been born. Verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The, no doubt the question would be, the city's filled with people. How are we going to find him? And the angel gives him the answer. You're going to go down into the city and you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. In the midst of all the hustle and bustle, the city overflowing with a multitude of people. Again, like going to the mall and being told to go find one individual with only a, a, a slight description. You know, medium build, medium height, and a red shirt. Go find him. Good luck. But you know what they did? They went into town looking for Jesus. Everyone else was looking for a place to stay. Everyone else was looking for a place of comfort. Everyone else was trying to make as much money as possible. And they went for one reason and one reason alone, to find the Savior of the world. Major difference, again, is God's not hiding from us. Can I get an amen? You know, if you seek the Lord, you will find him. God's not, someone said, you know, I've seen those, I found him. Uh, he wasn't hiding. Can I get an amen? He never has been. We're the ones away from him. He's not away from us. He's drawing us unto himself. He's calling us unto him. He desires that none should perish. No, not one. He came from heaven to earth, live a sinless, holy life as an example to us and went to the cross in our place to our to suffer again as if he lived our lives so we could be rewarded as if we lived his. By the way, he died the most painful death in all of human history and he knew separation from the Father and he had the sins of all mankind placed upon him. And yet he came into, as a baby in a manger knowing that that's what was in his future. Why did he do it? Because he loves you and because he loves me. And again, he didn't just say he loves you. People say the word love, they throw it around a lot. You know how you know somebody loves you? I mean, what they are willing to do. You know how valuable you are to Almighty God? How do you determine the value of something? What someone's willing to pay? How much was God willing to pay for you? He was willing to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary. He was willing to let his son suffer and die on the cross of Calvary that you might have eternal life. The next time the enemy or the world is telling you you're of no value, you just remember how much God loves you. And that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And here's what's amazing. He knows you best and he loves you most. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done or thought, every wicked, vile thing you've ever done or thought, and he still loves you. What a gracious God. Can I get an amen to that? He's a God of love and grace and mercy. He didn't only claim to be God, but he proved it. So what have you done with God's son? Are you too busy for him like the innkeepers, unwilling to give up the throne of your life? Okay, there we go. Blessed are the flexible. Respond with obedient faith like those humble and lowly shepherds in the, will in the coming verses. If you're in a place where you're holding on to the throne of your life, where you, you're, you're unwilling to give your life to Jesus Christ because you think you're going to lose something. I want to tell you what, anything you lose giving your life to Jesus Christ, you need to lose. Amen? And, and coming to Christ, you will gain everything. You'll lose nothing. I pray that none of us is too busy pursuing the things of this world 
or too self-centered and prideful to give up the throne of our lives, but that each of us would come humbly and broken like these, uh, these, these precious shepherds did. Now notice it says there in verse 13, and suddenly there was a, an, a, a, with the, a, the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. How many is in the heavenly host? I have no idea. But no doubt thousands upon thousands of angels are showing up on the mountainside and people who are down in town think they're the ones that are enjoying what's really happening. And the shepherds are, having, are hanging out with, a, with Almighty, the presence of Almighty God, with the hosts of heaven who've come down to earth to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Isn't it amazing that the angels in heaven are rejoicing and the innkeepers are too busy to let him in? It's so tragic to me that... We have an opportunity to know the Lord, and we can be so busy, focused on things that won't matter, that we miss the Savior. It says in Revelation, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousands, times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. Guys, we don't know the number that was here, but I'll tell you what, you got to be pretty distracted to miss out on a heavenly choir singing up on a hilltop not far away from town. And they were singing glory to God in the highest. God's glory had dwelt in the tabernacle. It had dwelt in the temple, but had departed because of the nation's sin. Now God's glory was returning to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. It says in John 1, 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The lowly manger had become the holy of holies because Jesus Christ was there. Amen? Do you know where the Holy Spirit dwells now? He dwells inside of us. If you've given your life to the Lord, he went from being with you to in you. And now, literally, this becomes a holy place. We're, we're sinners saved by grace, and we're not God, but the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love that. Then it says there, Part of that message was peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Guys, first of all, it's not a goodwill toward all men. It's an opportunity to be a goodwill toward all men. I have people pray. I pray for all, all, the, all God's people, thinking everyone in the world is God's people. Did Jesus die for all? What's the answer? Absolutely. Will all people get saved? What's the answer? See, salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. Going to church doesn't save you. But you should go to church. Reading your Bible doesn't save you. But you should read your Bible. Doing good works won't save you. But good works should be evidence of our salvation. The only way we get saved is when Jesus knocks on the door of your heart. He holds out salvation as a gift for you. I willingly died in your place. I'm willing to take your sin upon myself. And he holds out that gift of salvation. And now you must respond. And mom and dad can't can't do it for you. Mom and dad can go to church their whole lives, be on fire Christians praying for you, but you must at some point give your life to Jesus Christ. God has no grandchildren. Amen? Your, your aunts and uncles are missionaries. That's not going to get you into heaven. Your parents love Jesus. That's not going to get you into heaven. We must 
Come to a place where we recognize we're sinners and our need for a Savior and recognize that the only way we can be forgiven is to repent of our sin. The word repent means to turn, to change your mind. You're going in this direction and you change your mind and you surrender your life to the Lord and you willingly give up the throne of your life and place Jesus there where he belongs. God's peace is not a reward for those who have goodwill, but a gracious gift to those who are objects of his goodwill. Peace on earth. And again, because the Prince of Peace has arrived, that's the only reason we can have it. Finally, let's look at the shepherds in the last five verses. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, when they had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So here's the first Christmas rush. Amen? They ran into town with only one thing in mind. We've got to find the Savior. And no doubt they were running around. They, had no, they knew it was going to be in a manger. So they had an idea of where to look. And they're going through town looking for Jesus. So there's people in this world today that are looking for the Lord. And there's people in the world today that are chasing after stuff. And even when the Lord knocks on the door of their heart, they're too busy to open the doors unto them. Notice the contrast here between the shepherds and first Zacharias. He initially responded to the angel's news with doubt that he was going to have a child and didn't believe it was possible. The innkeepers, the Messiah, came to their door, but they were too busy and too focused on worldly pursuits and material gain that they missed Christmas. And again, but they came with haste. Guys, when you give your life to the Lord, it shouldn't be something you contemplate for the next five years. Amen? We're to respond. Let today be the day of salvation. Guys, they used to have these commercials about American Express card. Don't leave home without it. Uh, here's what I would say. Uh, don't leave earth without Jesus. Can I get an amen? Guys, we need the Lord. He's the answer. Notice they found him. They found him. They found him by search. The shepherds knew uh, to look for a newborn baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. No doubt they went to every stable, every manger cave, every, every animal that had hay in its mouth. They probably followed it through town to find out where they got it. And they found the Lord. All others had turned away and passed him by. And I wonder how many places they had to go to find him. Look at verse 17. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known this saying, which they had to, would been told them concerning this child. Now, do you think that it was hard for them to get people to believe that angels showed up on a mountaintop and told them that the Savior had been born in a manger? Do you think that was something people would believe right off the bat? But what I love about this, it doesn't say how people responded, but it does tell us that they were not afraid to tell everyone. So lowly shepherds on a hillside have just heard about Jesus. They have just seen him in a manger, and they immediately run and tell everyone. And sadly, many of us as Christians have never told anyone about Jesus in our lifetime. Or it's very rare when we do. And we've met him, and we've been born again, and we're filled with his Holy Spirit. And yet so many of us keep it to ourselves. You know, it's interesting that I have a buddy of mine that he now pastors the church. I used to pastor in Santa Cruz, and he got saved up at a high school camp. And one of his buddies had slept in. And when he got saved, he ran back to the bunk and led his buddy to the Lord when he'd been a Christian for about half an hour. And you know what? I think we need to have that same heart and that same burden for the lost. Can I get an amen to that? 
Do we care about other people and where they spend eternity? Do we care? Do we care enough to tell them the greatest news of all? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? I think one of the greatest evidences of a life that's been touched by God is it has a heart to witness to others. It says in Acts chapter 1, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. While we've not seen Jesus in the flesh, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Pray for divine appointments. Pray for opportunities to share your faith. Some of you know I'm interviewing for jobs right now, and it's amazing. Every interview I'm going on, I have an opportunity to talk about Jesus because they always will ask you, what motivates you? Boy, do I love that. <laughs> what motivates you? And they want you to say a new Mercedes or make, how much money do you want to make? And what, mo- what should motivate us is living our lives to, to, to know Jesus and to make him known. Can I get an amen? That should be the motivation, the passion of our lives. And so we are called to be witnesses. And I love that these lowly shepherds are willing to boldly proclaim what had happened. They're not ashamed. They're not worried about what people will think. They're just being faithful. Verse 18, and all those who heard it marveled at these things which were told to them by the shepherd. So when they heard the truth, they marveled. For some reason, shepherds were not permitted to testify in court, and they were considered ceremonially unclean. They were social outcasts in Israel, but God used these humble shepherds to be the first human witnesses that prophecy had been fulfilled. God's truth is amazing, no matter whose mouth it comes from. It doesn't matter who delivers the message. It's the message that's powerful. Amen? And too often it's, well, why didn't the Lord call kings? Why didn't he call the wealthy? He uses shepherds, and then later he would use fishermen. Because it's the message, not the messenger, that counts. Men who marveled at the message to, to messengers who made the men marvel. These guys marveled at the message, and then they ran into town, and everybody else was marveling at the message they delivered to them. They responded with immediate obedience. They went down to seek him out. After seeking and finding him, they responded to the good news by sharing it with others. God's not looking for ability, but availability. Why did he use shepherds? Because they were willing to do it. You know what? The Bible says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one and show, show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God will use you if you will just say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Amen? The Bible says that you know, great is the harvest, but few are the, the, lab, the labors are few. There's so many people that need to hear about Jesus. And if we will just say, Lord, here I am. Use me. I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions, but if this will help you, first of all, I want to encourage you all to read through the Bible next year. Can I get an amen to that? We'll have stuff for you Sunday. You can pick them up and you follow the path and you can read through the Bible in a year. But here's what else I want you to do. I want to encourage you to say, here's my New Year's resolution. Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. I'm in. Lord, whatever you want me to do, sign me up. Amen? Guys, we have a vapor of time left on this planet to be about it for the kingdom of God. And I pray we would be like these shepherds who are unashamed of the gospel telling anybody who will listen. Amen? Praise God for the shepherds. I wouldn't want to be an innkeeper on Judgment Day. Amen? God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And it says in verse 19, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. As the shepherds witnessed, Mary pondered all the things that had happened. Last verse, Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Having received the word, having responded in obedience, having reached out to others, 
they now rejoice just like the angels did. They went from fearing the heavenly choir to joining the heavenly choir. You know, you guys, we can all do the same thing here today. You know, the angels were afraid when the truth was revealed to them in such a powerful way. But once they received it and heard it, they responded to it. And they ran down to meet Jesus. And then once they met Jesus, they were unashamed to tell everyone else about Jesus. And then after they had told everyone else about Jesus, they went back to their job and were praising the Lord on their job site. Can I get an amen? And here's the reality. Some of us, maybe here, to, here this afternoon, when you hear the name Jesus, when you talk about, well, you know, I'll go, it's an hour, and we get ham afterward, right? Is it going to be? So I'll go to church, I'll, I'll placate the family, but when it comes to the Lord, you know about him, and you know Jesus is cool, but you don't have a relationship with him. And maybe it's a little fearful when someone is real direct and say, you need to give your life to the Lord, you need to repent. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. How many sinners we got in the room? Okay, so we all need Jesus, amen? Well, I'm not a sinner. Oh, yeah, okay, you're prideful too. And a liar. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you know, how many lives take to be a liar? You know, how, how many murders take to be a murderer? So we're all, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And now the, the message has been brought to you. You know, the word angel in the Bible, the word is messenger. And so a messenger brings you the truth of the gospel. It's come right now. You're hearing it. And if you've never given your life to the Lord, at first it's like, man, I don't want to hear that. Hey, that's, that, you know, that's kind of making me feel uncomfortable. Well, you know what? If we're sinners, we should fear God. Can I get an amen? amen? Because standing before him. Now, I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back because I know where I'm going. And not because I'm good, but because he's good. And not because I deserve it, because he promised it. Can I get an amen? And it just breaks my heart to think even one person here would walk out of here without knowing the Lord and have an eternity. Maybe, maybe never another opportunity to hear it. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. Let today be the day of salvation. Amen? I pray we'd not be like the innkeeper, so busy doing what we're doing when Jesus is knocking on the door. His parents are knocking on the door. You don't have time for the Lord. I don't want you to be like the people hustling about just trying to see how much money they can make in town and missing out as the angels are up on the mountaintop singing God's praises. My prayer would be that you'd be like the shepherds, that maybe you began with some fear when the gospel was presented to you, but now you recognize the Lord's moving on your heart, that Jesus is the Savior, and it's beyond time for me to just knowing about the Lord, to truly knowing him, to inviting him to rule and reign in my life, to be born again. The most religious man of the day came to Jesus in John chapter 3. His name was Nicodemus. He was one of the religious elite, part of the Sanhedrin. And he came to Jesus and said to him, good teacher. And then basically paraphrased, he said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't say, keep being religious. Jesus didn't say, keep teaching in the synagogue. Jesus didn't say, keep handwriting scriptures. Jesus didn't say, do a bunch of good works. Jesus said, you must be born again. And the word means born from above. Every one of us has been born physically. We need to be born again spiritually. From the moment we were born, we were spiritually dead. But we need to be born again. If we're born twice on earth, we'll spend eternity in heaven. If we're only born once on earth, we're going to spend eternity separated from Almighty God. You must be born again. Nicodemus said, do I crawl back into my mother's womb a second time? And he said, no, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. Let me, do not marvel, I tell you, you must be born again. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, don't leave here without him. Can I get an amen to that? This Christmas message wasn't just for people 2,000 years ago. 
It's for us today. And it should never grow common that this is the greatest act of love in all of human history. The Almighty God loved us enough to leave heaven, to come to earth as a baby, to live a sinless, perfect life, and then to go to the cross of Calvary to pay for the sin of everyone in this room. We might have eternal life. Some of you might be saying, well, pastor, you don't know how much I've sinned. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You cannot have sinned so much that you cannot be forgiven. The only way that you will not be forgiven is if you do not reach out and ask to be forgiven. Can I get an amen to that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for your love and your grace. And we thank you, Lord, for not just a baby in a manger, but a Savior on a cross and a risen living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. And the Son of God, see at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us even right now. Lord, I pray this morning, this afternoon, if anybody here doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says in Romans, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about being dedicated as a baby. I'm talking about you, you as a grown-up, you as a person who understands that you're a sinner. The Bible says, if you confess me before men. So right now, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. If you confess him before men, he'll confess you before the Father in heaven. If you deny him before men, he'll deny you before the Father in heaven. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just raise your hand and say, you know what? I'm ready to give my life to the Lord. You know what? I know that I'm a sinner and I want to be forgiven. I want to leave here having the Holy Spirit living inside of me and of the promise of eternal life. If that's your desire this afternoon, just raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray with you. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without the Lord. Most of us already know the Lord, but there's a few here, no doubt, that don't. Don't leave here without him. It's a divine appointment that you're here today. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We celebrate with the angels. We sing, holy, 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 Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We thank you for the greatest gift on Christmas, the gift of your son. Help us, Lord, never to lose sight of what's, what it's really all about. Lord, you are the reason for the season. Happy birthday, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...